right? Most people want to be these forward-thinking, agile, adopted workers who are delivering outcomes more than outputs. It's the system that's the enemy, right? It's these last 30 years of designing for resource management and, and too much skill specialization. Hey, this is Dave Pryor from Leading Agile Sound Notes. What you're about to listen to is an interview between myself and Mikkel Ladegaard, who is a senior VP and executive consultant at Leading Agile. And what we focus on in this conversation is we talk about how to, how we can design product-centric organizations in which we have clarity from senior management down to the individual team level about what the top business priorities are. This is going to allow us to move away from a situation that many organizations face now, where the work that gets done is based on politics or a favor economy, um, we want an explicit system where we have a stronger sense of trust and transparency up and down the line with respect to what we need to do and the business outcomes we're trying to achieve. So Mikkel and I kind of dig into a lot of different areas of this topic. I just wanted to make sure that before you get into it that you know what you're walking into. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Um, and if you like it, please leave us some comments in the show notes because it's a topic we're planning on coming back to and, and having some idea of what resonates the most with you would be very beneficial. Thanks a lot. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today, we're going to talk about some fairly complicated stuff um, that has to do with how we try to shape the system so that people can locally make the best possible decisions for the organization. And I'm very happy to have... Mikkel Lilko, did I get it right? Uh, yeah. Close enough, for close an American? Enough. Okay. So <laughs> if you were to pronounce it as an American, though, you would say Mikkel Ladegaard. That's perfect. All right. You're in North Carolina, but you're originally from Denmark, and you're working on some very specific stuff at Leading Agile. You're also, um, let me look at this, Senior Vice President and Executive Consultant. Before I, we start talking about the actual topic, can you give folks a little bit of your background so they have a sense of where you're coming from with the particular topic we're going to focus on? I have a slightly different route than most people into a digital transformation. I come from a business background, um, primarily centering around portfolio management, so how to optimize project portfolios, how to optimize product portfolios. Um, I was quite fortunate early on to land in a fairly progressive PMO um, sort of portfolio management office where we got to structure and facilitate the executive prioritization. We use pairwise comparison. Um, over the years doing portfolio management, this, this thing called agile kept, kept bothering these perfect waterfall portfolios where everything had a beautiful business case and uh, a timeline. So over time, working with clients, more and more of the job became, how do we integrate agile development, primarily agile task management as an alternative to, to waterfall task management into these portfolios. Um, and then around four, three, four years ago, um, the product portfolio work I had done finally made sense to me, which was um, the product Product work became what you're trying to do in IT. So you move away from having projects and into a, a, a product world. So more stable value propositions, uh, stable teams, uh, focusing on value rather than cost, focusing on outcomes rather than outputs. Um, and that really connected then with the agile methodologies. Uh, organizing for learning, organizing for value rather than organizing for, for output. Okay. 
Thank you. Um, so I'm going to try, before we get into it, I'm going to try to explain the topic and you tell me how close I am. And I'm also going to use an example from something that just came up today. Okay. Okay. So what we're going to talk about is in any organization that is pursuing this approach, if we're pro talking about a product-centric approach and we really want to localize decision-making, we would like to have the teams be able to make decisions on how to do things in the best way possible because it is in alignment with the strategic um, prioritization of work throughout the organization. Like that's just a transparent thing that everybody knows. And the example that I would offer um, just to help people kind of, you know, tie it to something. I just had lunch with some guys and they were talking about that in this organization, there's multiple teams working on one large system. And there's one individual whose job it is to play traffic cop with releases. So, you know, they don't want all these people launching stuff at the same time because the testing's not fully automated yet and everything like that. And the teams individually don't know which one of them is more important than another one. And given that they're all in support of a certain suite of products within this organization, um, I mean, I would think ideally everybody, it would be pretty clear to everybody. Like if you've got this thing going, then that obviously takes precedent. You know, there's sort of a ranking almost. Is that, how close am I? No, that, that, that's a very good, good description. So, so the evolution in, in most successful companies, and we work with a lot of successful companies, is over time they structure their system to manage resources and manage work more than value. So they focus on the orchestration element. Um, you can have component teams, right? If a component team is delivering on 14 projects, and those 14 projects have a project manager each, Yep. You have you have 14 people telling you that they're your number one priority. <laughs> Screw those guys. We're the most important. It's quite right. cool. and 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 it's 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 sort of a, a flaw in the system, um, and it's a design flaw based on many of these these uh, very mature old organizations that we work with. IT as a service uh, component was born in this way, right? They had they had these services that they provided. Um, you came, you asked for something, they would eventually deliver it. Um, now. Since um, the environment in which we do business has changed, they're much more of a value driver. So what I'm very intrigued by is how we design systems and not just design them as an end state because um, that, that's quite, I wouldn't say easy, but there's a lot of examples of very small startup companies who, who have evolved into to very beautiful organizations. Um, how do you take these large companies with all this technical debt, organizational debt, systemic debt, and transform them so that they're on this, this path so they can start building the product, so they can start harnessing the opportunity in the digital transformation more than just deal with the threat of the digital transformation. Okay. So I want to ask you about some mm -hmm. phrasing here. So you, um, the way you've explained it to me is you want uh, a channel, an unofficial channel that is more beautiful in its design. Can you clarify, like, just dig into that a little bit? Because that's not phrasing that I think most most of the folks I know would use. And, and I want to make sure that they're hearing kind of the intention behind what you're saying. Yeah. So, so very often when we deal with strategy and investment, you have this very formalized annual approval process. Things are submitted. We can only have good ideas in November. And then sometime January, we have finalized which good ideas we had and everything new comes in later. Um, the thing that intrigues me actually is how systems organize. So when you talk at the top level of, of the system, this is where much of the behavior is actually facilitated. So the official governance process in most companies 
are structured as a negotiation. I come in assuming someone's going to take something away from me. So I'm going to bloat my initiative. Also, they tend to look better business case-wise if I bloat. Right? They're bigger. They may, they're, they're massive. We can't avoid doing this, right? It's a next-gen thing. But I come in thinking that someone will take it away. Um, so the art of the deal, right? I, I go in big. Scarcity, yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, and this is quite common, right? When you ask executives to, to bring up their initiatives, they always have a list of 25. They're hoping to get 10 of them, but they always have a list of 25 because you got to look like you have a lot. You got you to be able to say, oh, I didn't get all my stuff. So the official governance process in many organization is actually incentivizing the people uh, having demand to bloat it, right? I'm making it bigger. It becomes a political discussion more than a value-related discussion. What, what intrigues me quite a lot is the, uh, are these unofficial channels. Uh, channels. Everybody knows that small enhancement requests makes it into development all the time. You know someone on the team, you call them, you did a favor, you bought them lunch, right? The product owner is basically in your pocket. You can get a couple of things in there. What's interesting about the unofficial channels are they're a favor economy. When I ask for favors, I'm going to optimize for value. Dave, I have these three things I need done. If you could just do this one thing for me, that would be amazing. Okay. So what intrigues me is how can we create an official channel? Because the big governance process have transparency, right? We know whether or not we're lining the work with the strategy. How can we create that transparency, but in a favor economy more than a political negotiation? That, that's really the problem that I'm trying to solve. Okay. I think it's really fun to solve. Can I, can I buy some arguments now? Sure. All right. So the, the first thing that struck me when you were explaining stuff in the beginning um, was I was thinking that, that maybe that the way that we do stuff now, and I'm, I'm in my brain, I'm characterizing it as a very American approach to, to everything. Um, it's almost like Darwinistic, like I'm going to survive because I'm going to get my stuff done and screw the other guy and I will win because through sheer will and determination or through political engineering or social engineering or whatever, and I'm the one that should win because I got to the, you know, I lasted the longest. Um, totally dysfunctional, especially from a business perspective, but couldn't you argue that, I mean, first of all, does that sound, do you, do you agree with what I was saying right there? So, so I think two things to, to keep in mind here is, one, I have yet to meet anyone in an organization who didn't have that organization's um, best outcome in mind. Right? Okay. Every person you talk to individually, m- most people, they are, they are the one-offs, right? But most people you talk to are genuine, they're committed, and they truly think that their ideas are the best ones. Well, that's what you- I was going to say. Is they, they're committed because their idea is the right answer. Yeah. So, so, so they're, they're batting for this right answer. Yeah. Uh, one of the challenges, though, is that they've, they've, many of them also have seniority, right, th- through um, many years at the company. So they yeah. know this best. So there is a little bit of a blind spot. But even if we assume that they have the right answer, th- there's a limited capacity. Now, I would actually argue that most IT budgets are completely made up. And when I say that, it's because... They're all cost-driven because yeah. we, don't, we don't truly believe in and understand the value of IT. Um, so when that's that's you just opened a whole other bucket of worms, man. 
That's yeah, all right. But... <laughs> no, no, but so, 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 right. You, 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 I think that they all have their best intention in mind. So if we though look at it quite, quite pragmatically, you only have a certain pipeline of code that can be written, right? So how yeah. do we get these people to optimize rather than argue? And so far, the best answer I've come up with is to isolate them. So one of the challenges we have is um, when, you, when you debate capacity, and that's something at the heart of what Leading Agile does, right? We need to stabilize capacity to have predictable yeah. uh, delivery teams. We're bringing way too many arguments to, to the development team that they can't, um, they can't resolve. Right? They can't very, process it. They can't process it because they right. have 16 different business stakeholders it's telling like them. It's denial of service account. Yes. So, yeah. it, it's actually it, it's quite perfect. So, so one strategy that has worked fairly well is if you take the delivery engine's capacity and I say, Dave, I'm going to give you 20%. Come up with your list of what you want done and I'll have the team reflect back to you what can they do with 20% of their capacity? Yeah. And you argue, it's like, ah, yes, but I need more than 20%. And I can say, great. That is an argument that you can have with your strategic peers and the manager of the strategy. Yes. That's not for the teams. But let's run the scenario. You get 20%. The other guy's also got 20%. So you're not special, Dave. Um, but you're also not, you know, not special. Right. And then you come back and you get told what you can get back. Now we're so as long as these team commitments are predictable, which which is which is quite important because predictability in delivery creates trust, and it also brings the business to the table in a way where trade offs now become meaningful. Okay, so, well, so don't go you, down don't go no, down no, that no, path no. yet. I'm not down the path. So okay, <laughs> but when you get so when you get when you when you tell the team this is what I would like done, yeah. and this is my prioritized list, only arguing about myself. And they tell you, this is what you can do. When you okay. say that, you're going to start thinking, well, what if I only got some of this? Yeah. So it, it's one mechanism for, um, for kind of eliminating some of the dysfunction. Yeah. Is, you know, try to isolate the stakeholders. Try to get them to argue against themselves because people who argue against themselves tend to self-optimize. Okay. Um, a, a lot of, uh, I, I have this new pet peeve of reading a lot of these um, sort of retirement um, investment strategies and sort of couples things and uh, the, the, the taggiest example. You right? don't seem quite old enough to be reading about retirement yet. Oh, it, it's, well, it's because my latest theory is that these retirement planners would actually do a great job um, consulting into companies because there oh, are some, okay. some basics around asset allocation that would work really well. But but some of the things that I like have been reading these stories about, um, there's some good Reddit threads about it, but it's sort of the, the, the classic uh, stereotypical husband-wife relationship, right? Mikkel never got anything, so he went out, he got this big new set of golf clubs, and they were $10,000 because he needed something nice for himself. Right. And... That's a little bit how you argue in organizations and how you're optimizing, right? You have everybody has this feeling of being deprived. Uh, some it's of it's a scarcity, is, yeah. It's a scarcity, and also because the delivery cycles are so long, I, I gotta take the fight now because I don't know when I get to have the correctional fight, right? Right, and they've but, all learned to, to game that system. But the, the thing that I it, wanted to go back to yeah. is the favor economy. Yes. So, isn't if I'm in a situation where I am navigating getting stuff done by, you know, little favors here, little favors there, trading this for trading that, I'm getting a volume of work done through all these little, 
you know, side channels, that's engineering this gaming, the system, social engineering, the system in the same, you know, maybe in a more positive light than the other way, but either way, the one that survives is the one that had the people on it that best figured out how to hack the system. Yeah, yeah certainly. But, okay. but again, now we're talking orchestration. We're yeah. talking system. We're talking about getting my outputs, right? What and, they don't, and they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just trying to win. I, I think they know. But I think when we look at it systemically, when we look at these great opportunities for omni-channel strategies, these big themes, they require yeah. alignment, right? They, they require goal setting. They require something that we're all looking towards and that we all understand can all sort of storytell around. So okay. that's, that's what gets lost in the favor economy is uh, I self-optimize a little bit too much, right? I can get disconnected. Some of the things that I ask for, there were those things that were deliberately rejected through the formal process. Right? It was really yeah. someone said, This is just not good enough. It's not gonna get you there, Mikkel. And then I go, ah, you know, hey Dave, by the way, remember that favor? Uh, I would I would like for you to develop this anyway. Just this yeah. So so that so neither of these two systems are, are perfect in any way. Okay. Um, it's just that thing that um, I I very much enjoy the observation that the formal process promotes the complete opposite behavior of what we'd like. That that I I argue for the decision more than the outcome, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and then also, the system is not set up to, to even gauge outcomes, so we're fine, right? My forecast is perfect because, you know, we're never going to follow up on that. We're never going to know whether or not I was right. Yeah. Are there places where that happens? Because that's something that I wonder about a lot. Like, why doesn't anybody ever get called out on the fact that their ROI prediction was off? Well, well, it does happen. Um, okay. There, there are some organizations, benefit realization has been, been hot for years, right? I think one of the common things, though, is just the, um, the cycle time, the time to market of these very large initiatives that companies start um, through the formal process. You know, by the time it's done... I'm in a new position. Yeah, you're in another company. Right? And, yeah. and it's this thing that, that tends to be a, a requirement for the project manager to be the one to follow up on the benefits. But the project manager is very often just a delivery engine, right? They're, yeah. a, they're a task orchestrator. Okay. So they're not going to be, they're, they want to close the project because it's out there. Hopefully, they also care about it being adopted, but it's, it's out there. So who is it that follows up on those benefits? The benefits can be five, 10 years out in time. So so a large challenge here is it takes too long to get there. It's too big, and we, we can't really identify causality, right? The, the, it's almost like you can There's time, too many variables in it to see it, right? You, you, can, you can time these cycles with the, uh, the economic upswing, right? You're the, you're the best VP that ever happened. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, that, and that, that's why, I mean, I think, the industry is moving in a different direction, right? We're moving away from projects onto products. And it's less about agile development as a, as a competitor to projects. Um, and most agile development today functions in, it's actually agile project management. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a task management strategy. What the industry is, is heavily moving towards is, is product management, right? It's having someone have the responsibility for both the current operational performance and the future strategy uh, of a certain value proposition we have to our customer. Okay. Uh, 
And then within that space, you can build up the, the subject matter expertise, right? You can have some people who can actually stay together. You can have cross-functional teams that are allowed to stay together, build up subject matter expertise and deliver better and better solutions with, with fast feedback, knowing whether or not we're actually heading the right direction. So these teams would then all know because of the fact that the company has a strategy that has been communicated and it's clear to everyone, there's going to be a lot more clarity around what is value, what's our priority, how do we make the decisions, who releases first, who gets more humans to work on their project, who gets the funding, all that stuff. Well, ideally, we've isolated them perfectly. So the, the orchestration aspect is not, a, it's not as complicated at this place. But, but to begin with, it's a very interesting notion that what you have. So in, in leading Agile, we have sort of a, a, a four-tier or three-tier governance model where we have investment tier and portfolio tiers, the two top tiers. And what's intriguing is, what's the horizon? What is it that we actually define at each tier? What very often occurs is at each tier, you on a need to know basis define, these are the outputs. So this is where we wanna go, and these are the outputs required to go there. And then you push it to the next step down for them to then translate it to their tier level of, well, okay, if they say this is where we need to go, and if they say this is the solution, how would we phase that out? Um, I think strategic demand shaping and the investment tier needs to get the heck out of uh, solution design. You just cannot have the massive subject matter expertise required right. on, on such, such few people, right? That, that's really what you need to push down. When you push down the responsibility for, for solution, uh, you're getting more and more bodies to work on the problem. Uh, more people thinking, more people designing, more people listening for cues. So one of the things we're trying to design is what's that model? What is it that we at the investment tier can say, What's the, what's the clearly defined goal? What goal, what does results look like? And then having a system where the tiers below are allowed to solution on it. They're allowed to further elaborate on the problem space. They're allowed to further understand the customer segmentation, the personas, the customer journeys, the experiences, the emotions, all the way down to having tasks and user stories that deliver against that. And that's that's the systems design that kind of gets me up smiling in the morning. Okay, so uh, can I? So let me ask some questions about it. So, without providing that information down from above, you know, you were talking about how the different layers have to interpret whatever they get. Um, what I was thinking in my head would was that that would be sort of like a development team trying to guess what the vision statement was based on the user stories. Yeah. Uh, well. It's let's is that, take, let's, let's is that play, close enough or too, I guess it's too far. Let's let's play a game, Dave, and this, this okay. might not work well on the microphone, right? So <laughs> I'm I'm gonna tap a song right. and yeah. you're gonna tell me um which song that I'm gonna pick. And okay. I haven't heard this, so I just need like one second to think of something. Uh okay, ready? Here it yep. goes. I have no idea. So, uh, <laughs> no, well, it's kind of funny, right? So, so this is this is a very common uh, game called Tappers and Listeners. So, what very often happens when we communicate is we have a soundtrack in our head. Yeah. So, when I'm going through Toto's Africa, this is not a, this is not. A are you talking? Okay, hold on a second. If you're going to go with Africa, are we talking about Toto? Or are we talking about that ridiculous Weezer nonsense? 
I have very strong feelings about Toto. I so so just to <laughs> just to uh, to create the age difference here. I'm talking about the Weezer. Weezer, one. I know. <laughs> no. All right, no, but so <laughs> it, the challenge here is when I'm tapping, I yeah. have the entire soundtrack. Right, I could hear whatever the instruments was that they used to create this. Right, I can even see, I can visualize the music video. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the challenges in the way that we communicate uh, strategy and organizations, right? But the I, people and the people who create it think everybody's going to know when you're tapping that that's Africa. Absolutely. So if yeah. we take away uh, the sheer, um, excuse my language, but there's a corporate bullshit factor, right? Yeah. These, we go to the weekend, we all have a great time, and we feel like we have a strong vision when we come out. Much of it applies to every organization out there. We want to be right. customer centric. Great, but. Most people want to be customer centric. Want to be right? technology agnostic. Exactly. But even yeah. if we take that away, right? If we come down to these clearly defined strategic initiatives, there's still a, a, a very long distance. There's a lot of translation between the person who actually understood the problem, yeah, and and for some weird reason was asked to also come up with the solution right then and there, right? We're assuming that the same person who understands the problem is the same person who can come up with the solution, even though they're two distinct and well, valuable skill sets. Eh? Can I add another layer in? Yeah. That that what the company says it wants, it's actually willing to tolerate the execution of. Like we want, you know, everything to be decoupled and we want code that is going to be usable 10 years from now. But you're going to have to write it in the next 20 minutes with your eyes closed and one arm tied behind your back. Yeah. I So I, I'm less... Um, Jaded. I'm less sensitive about developers' statements like that. Okay. And it's because I feel like developers could do a little bit more to work the right way. So, so okay. I'm talking about the, building the right thing, talking about getting the right outcomes. When it comes to the right way of building it, if every developer can tell me in a team that managing your whip is going to dramatically increase our output and outcomes. Right. Go ahead and do it, Dave. But like, but that you okay, but you're unique and not unique. There are there are many who don't trust that much, who feel like their job is to optimize other people. Oh yeah. I mean there's a lot of <laughs> that that's the systems of orchestration we've created, right? If mm -hmm. I'm not correcting anything, maybe I'm I'm redundant. Yeah. Um, I agree, but every moment of every day a developer sits down and writes a line of code. They're making the decision whether they work on user story A, B, C, or D. Okay, yeah. If you, if you strongly believe that, that in having to build three user stories, finishing one, then the next, then the next, will actually create more value or at least reduce the risk of knowing whether or not we can complete it, uh, just, just go ahead and do that. Okay, so I, then I, how do you make sure they're doing, or I'm sorry, how, not how do you make sure. How does the company provide them with, the context that will allow the team to make the best possible decision about the right thing to work yep. on. Is that what we're after? Yep, that, that's okay. what we're after. And what makes it really, really complicated is very often the systems design and the history of the organization. So there, there's a trust aspect, right? I got to be able to trust that these people, these developers, newly hired people, right, because we're expanding IT, that they can understand the problem, that they can provide the solution. And that, that's when we talk about system design, right? How do we create the structure, the governance, the measurements that will allow that top tier to release the solution design? 
um, that will allow them to say other people can understand the problem space better than us. We would like to target this, right? We would have like to see growth in this market segment. And by the way, China is important to everyone. So we don't want to fall behind in China. How, how can they build up those objectives, those, those uh, results in a way where they can now allow a layer below to be product centric, to have the subject matter expertise, to understand the customer journeys, to understand the business model, and to stand the architecture to make the right decisions. Um, and, and so to me, the end state is very clearly defined. That's what most, most literature focuses on, right? It, is it uh, sort of lean product development? Is it lean startup? Um, the leading agile base camp for? Uh, are we doing labs? The, the end state is less interesting to me because most of the clients that we deal with are these behemoth companies that are successful. They're very, very successful, but it's time to pivot. So deciding the transformation, that's what's sensitive, right? It's these little baby steps of building up trust, of understanding and facilitating subject matter expertise. Um, and this to me is where a product-centric organization really outcompetes the project-centric one. Okay. Because when we have products and, and um, products are defined uh, <laughs> almost individually, it seems. When I talk about products, it's a, it's a grouping of value propositions. I think business capabilities um, make for great products. But products have longevity. So they're meaningful, right? So basically, if we take our portfolio, instead of saying we create strategic initiatives, really what we're saying is we're setting ambitious targets. So rather than defining a strategic initiative for this group, we're saying, guys, we want you to be ambitious, and this is how much money we're willing to bet on this. Now create the best solutions achieving this target of ambition that we have. That's the product-centric approach. Now we have people who've been working on the same problem space. Um, pricing is not dependent on next-gen pricing to work. Most stores have prices. Um, they've had them for quite a decade, right? So product organizations are better in this way that the subject matter expertise that we rely on to be able to, to, to pivot, to be able to be agile towards the, the competing offerings, the dynamics of the business world. Yeah. It's better facilitating around these, these long-term value propositions. Uh, let's get out of the technical solutions. Uh, let's get in, into the value space. Let's understand both the business value, um, the customer value, and the desires, the pain points, the sadness, the experience when we run out of our item, but also the architecture, right? Because it's, it's unrealistic to assume that we can move like a little agile startup when we have 30 years of tech debt. Sure. Right, it's it's just not going to work that way, and um, so so that that to me is the way that we get there. Is okay. we got we got to build trust through structure, through measurement, and through governance, and then over time we got to we got to have the decision flow down into the system where we have more people, and and to me, product centric organizations talking about business products where IT has quite a few value propositions. They're, they're just much better focal points for subject matter expertise because they will live on for a long, long time. We don't have to reorganize teams all the time. We have more people thinking and solutioning. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question about one aspect. It's something you said a few minutes ago. You mentioned management 
figuring out how to enable the the level of management below them or or the level level of whatever below them to make decisions on their own. Yeah. Which is not something I mean it's that to me seems like something most managers would say, yes, of course we need to do that and then it's not how they ever think about the work. Like if I'm doing a job, how can I make sure that everybody below me can do this without asking me questions? Yeah. How can I make it that simple? And and that's very often where we come to the culture of learning. Uh, some people call it the the fail fast culture. Um, so where you really know whether or not you're doing this is how you accept the the misfires of of your of of your teams. Okay. Um, so. So two things. There's a, there's a core premise I would just like to, to shape before this. And then if I forget, just please remind me. But the, the first step is just, by the way, um, with these product centric portfolios, right? Again, this is a way where we can slice the portfolio, right? This, okay. product, this product group can have their own little budget, right? So now we can have these intelligent trade-offs. And, and what it actually comes down to is, is the basic investment period of, of, of asset allocation, right? We're placing small bets, various places, and we would like the transparency to know what they're betting on. So now when we have that, now we have the teams deciding what goes in the bucket. What it, how much risk are they running, right? How much um, exploration do they do versus big, uh, regular uh, regulatory uh, items and things like that. And, and just okay. just yeah. pause for one second. And even though they're being allowed to determine that on their own, the assumption is they're making all those decisions based on their alignment with what the company is looking for. Yes. Okay. But 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 again, I have very very high trust in people. When you yeah. isolate individuals, when you talk about their mindset, most people get it. Right. Most people want to be these forward-thinking, um, agile, uh, adopted uh, workers who are delivering outcomes more than outputs. It's the system that's the enemy, right? It's these last 30 years of designing for resource management and, um, and too much skill specialization, right? Rather than having value be the core component. And that, that's what we're unraveling. Um, and I think most managers, yes, would say that I, I empower my teams, teams to do this. Um, which, which is the right way of doing it. But is it designed in tangible behaviors, right? How do you know? So, so it can come down to how do you respond to, to a failure, right? How do, you, how do you take a missed deadline? All right, let's say that you put this in, you get this beautiful system designed, right? Yes. And we've created total clarity on strategic, you know, whatever the company wants to do strategically, these big bets that they want to place, and each layer of management is framing things up so that the, the layer below them is able to make choices on their own without going and seeking permission because they understand how to stay in alignment with the company strategy. Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff is happening. How would you know that it was all happening? Is there some way of measuring this? So, so that's, that's where we couple product management with, with the agile methodology. Okay. With, with the faster delivery uh, having teams predictably um, at pace delivering small valuable uh, outputs can, can be combined into outcomes. So if you have the product management team both owning current performance and the future, um, future sort of strategy and horizons, and they're building towards it, every quarter I will know, well, what are the outcomes that we have in this product? How did we, since the year began, 
change which KPIs have moved in a good way, which KPIs have moved in a bad way. Okay. I can also look at the backlog and say, well, now with that in mind, are you expecting this trend to continue? Right? Is is your backlog as strong as it was last quarter, or um, if it's weaker, can we come up? Do we have better ideas? Do we have something, or is our target actually uh, unachievable? So I think in that sense, you do need to have the coupling with the, with the fast uh, development, primarily to get that feedback loop. Right? We have basic knowledge required. Product management has that based on understanding current operations. The person with the good idea also understands the current context, right? Okay. I, don't, I don't have to make up both what, what, what happens today and, and then make up what future good looks like, which is too much responsibility for one person, right? So, so Mikkel is responsible for both and can say, look, we are, we are moving this KPI, this little dial that you say is very important according to a strategy. We're moving it at this pace and our, our backlog looks strong. We can get there. That's tangible feedback that you can now use to decide on when to pivot when to change your strategy. Um, I can even come back and say, this looks great. I think we can do a lot of stuff in this space. We're getting some very good feedback on some of our experiments. Uh, or I can say, look, our experiments, none of them are really working. I don't think we're approaching this right. And maybe we're not the right people to solve for this, Dave. Maybe some other group is, is the right one to, to solve for it. So hold, hold on a second, though. Hold on a second, though. Um, I'm going to be jaded American project manager. You're saying, with what you just said, if I am some mid-level manager, I'm trying to figure out a product to make it work, and I'm realizing along the way, yeah, you know, maybe I'm not the guy. Uh, I'm going to ask management to reassign my project that I fought so hard for to somebody else who's probably better suited to doing, being successful with it. Because that's the right thing to do for the company, but I don't know anybody that would do that. No, yeah, well, that's, yes. So that's, that's a common challenge, right? As a project manager, I own the scope of work and I'm fighting for the scope of work. Yeah. So one of the benefits of product management is because of this longevity. Okay. Right? That I, I'm not fighting for the next, I'm proving myself. We're, we're proving, proving the value proposition. But most projects are solution focused, right? I have okay. the scope to create a solution to do this. Yeah. Product management has a continuous operation to it, right? We're maintaining something important while right. building for tomorrow, while building for five years into time. So I'm just in a much more stable platform where I can be allowed to do these things and say, we have one team too many. Or, you know, let's, let's try to cut a team and see if we do poorly, right? I can have more reflection because... I can also be held accountable for the cost of the product um, in, a, in a different way, right? There's a very, very clear relationship between the value and the effort, um, which now makes, it, uh, makes budget have sense, right? Like okay. I, said, I said earlier, most budgets are kind of made up because yeah. we, nev we never have the outcome aspect. So when you're in product management, have the fast feedback, you have an outcome aspect that you can use to set these budgets. Um, and again, I have high faith in people. I think that the product manager would do a really good job having that reflection to say, I have excess capacity, or I don't think we can achieve this strategy, or I think we've struck gold here in something else. Should that be our strategy? M much more reflection if you, if you allow them to, to think for themselves. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know I was being kind of obnoxious about it. I was doing it totally on purpose. It's just that there is this part of me that 
I mean, a large part of me agrees with everything you're saying, but there's also the skeptical part of me that thinks, yeah, but nobody's going to be that responsible to the company because they want to get a bonus or, you know. Yes. No, uh, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, yeah. their their main team is their family. Yes. And, and, and I agree with that. But, but the main difference is you're, you're, you're incentivizing project managers based on, on date and timelines and budget. Not um, on outcome. Value in IT is extremely rare and extremely unevenly distributed. Okay. Uh, if I work in an organization where maybe the teams don't have the information or there's just too much political you know, noise going on or whatever, how do I begin to turn the ship to get it to a point where the organization trusts the teams to make the right decisions and provides the teams with the right context to make the right decisions. So there are probably as many takes on this as there are consultants. Uh, I would so say it depends. The, it depends, but <laughs> the the early agile transformations yeah. try try to do this by addressing the teams by saying, look, as developers, we can do better. There's this thing called Scrum out there. We organize and work in a different way, and this will all come by itself. Um, it that, doesn't really it, work that way, though. It doesn't really work that way. Right. Um, and, and actually, unfortunately, um, some of those initiatives cause a little bit of disruption, right? Because we say a lot of bad things about Waterfall, but at least they have structure, they have governance, they have measurements, right? So that's sort of a what I would call an intelligent system of delivery. And it's intelligent not because it's doing the right thing, but it's because I can inject change into that system of delivery and monitor to see if a better behavior occurs. Okay. When you've had someone run an agile transformation in the past, all they've done is sort of disrupt the entire uh, project reporting because they were not projects, they were streams, but it didn't, weren't allowed to follow through with it. Now we've lost that transparency, right? We have, we yeah. have the same low quality. Um, so, so many people swear by the coaching uh, bottom up. Uh, a large part of the uh, focus right now is on product management. Product managers have people who are able to navigate this abstract space of strategy. Um, I think it's top down, um, but I think it comes from the perspective you have. I think there's a lot of issues. What I like to deal with is the systemic issues, right? What are the, what are the heuristics? What are, what are the things we in our organization keep repeating to ourselves that's actually causing us to not do what we, we, we want to do? Um, and, and to me, um, I think the biggest argument that you have when you come into an organization is read through the data. You know, talk to the execs and say, what are your plans? What's your strategic plan? Where would you like to go? Read the data and show back to them. Just reflect. How is the effort? How is the money today being used? Th that's sort of the alignment gap between what our plan is and what our actions are. And that shows you that something is wrong. Like the distribution of effort, the distribution of cost, never actually uh, equals where our ambition is. Yeah. So, so, so to me, I think, and I, I think that's, that's, that's a, a very exciting aspect of the leading agile um, journey model and for the expeditions is Basecamp 1, we focus a lot around the messaging on predictability. We would like predictable teams, which are absolutely necessary. There are so many uh, bad systemic behaviors that's, that's stemming from IT never being predictable. The, the business doesn't even need to come to the table as long as IT is not predictable, right? Because what's, why is it worth the time? Um, but I think that the real strong aspect of Basecamp 1 is this idea of a designed system of delivery. 
you, you need to have governance, you need to have structure, you need to have measurements. Because once and designing have, it in a way that it can extend as well, not just, that's, it's not just going to do this one thing. Well, I think, so I think that's what's really nice about it. That, that should be the first step. Uh, intelligent system delivery is binary. You're either, you're either there or you're not. You might be really close. You might be really close to a great one. But if you don't have those three core things in place, you're not there yet. So, so um, it's never sexy to sell current, uh, current performance. It's never sexy to sell knowledge of, of what we're today doing. Everybody wants the improvement. But yeah. if you do not have a design system of delivery, improvement is futile because you don't know whether or not it mattered. Oh, we need t-shirts that say that. Improvement is futile. Improvement. <laughs> 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 well, everybody gets excited about new methodologies, right? Can we do continuous yeah. integration? Can you do paired development? Maybe, but if you had a structured system of delivery that has these core three things in place, you would know whether or not it was the right thing for you. And that's where we have the context sensitivity, right? Not, not all parts of the organization will be the same. Let's have the core structure in place yeah. so that we know what's right where. Okay. It's interesting, you know, when you're talking about it, I'm thinking, yes, there, you know, we all like a new methodology. We all like a new shiny thing we can chase after and say, that's the one that I need. Um, but it's almost like, you know, they can keep bringing out new versions of whatever. And until we dig into whatever one we're in right now and fix these problems we have right now, you're never, what's the point of another one? You're just trading your problems. Well, it's, uh, I, I like I like to use the analogy of the self help books. Yeah, right? Every, everybody likes to read a self help book. You'd like you'd like to read the story about the guy who did something and achieved something different. Are you right? Oh, this guy he did it. He he was sad and he climbed Mount Everest. And now he's good. So I should go climb Mount Everest. Yeah, I'll do but, that too. Except, but the the thing is, the starting point matters more, right? The reflection, um, the acknowledgement of your habits, right? What is it that makes you you? And what is exciting about it and what, what's actually worth changing. And when we talk about transformation organizations, it's 80% staying the same. It's 20% something new. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's identifying the 80% worth keeping. It's identifying and knowing which 20% to inject that's new. And, and to do that, we do need the structure. We do need the governance. And, and we do need the measurements. Okay. So I want to I try to recap this a little bit. So... We want the teams, the, the people locally, to be able to make the choices. We have to provide them with the information they need to make choices that are alignment with a product-centric organization where the, the strategy for the company has been distributed and everybody knows what it is so that the decision that like a team member would make should pretty obviously be the same decision that some senior VP would make mm -hmm. Because they have the same level, they're on the same page in terms of what the company wants to do and what it's trying to achieve with this product. Yep. Okay. But that has not something that just happens like that. You've got to redesign your system. And I would think refactor your culture a little bit in terms of the trust thing to get people to buy into this. Yes. The, the end state is very well defined. There's a lot of literature about it. But what's exciting is how do you get, how do you get there? Um, I think having predictable delivery and a structured system of delivery, and then secondly, beginning to work on breaking work down. Okay. Small, smaller pieces of work, um, you know, start breaking work down on these principles that we talked about. Let's have more clear objectives at the top. Let's yeah. have more ideation in the bottom. 
let's start slowly transferring that subject matter expertise. Because okay. to, to compete today, you, you need more people solving the important problems. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why the end state, it's beautiful. It's, it's a lot of cross-functional teams able to deliver value and identify value themselves quite rapidly to deliver the organizational objectives. Um, step one and two are still the same. Create structure, yeah. makes things smaller. Okay. So I have one final question for you. And thank you for sharing all this stuff. No problem. Um, you talked about digital transformation before. There's agile transformation. Let me back up a little bit. Where we, we a company tries to adopt agile practices, but digital transformation for many organizations means taking everything that they have done and done manually for years and digitizing that entire aspect of the business, which touches many corners of the organization. Um, is that is that how you would characterize it as well? So I think digital transformation is the step before what you just spoke about. Oh, so, okay. So digital transformation is the merger of IT into our business design. We have a business design that worked well. Um, external business environments are requiring us to change. So we need to merge IT, IT value propositions directly into our business design. Having done that, now we make choices what to digitize. What are the things where it will make sense? Where will it be valuable to have uh, something automated, something on the phone rather than, than on a billboard somewhere? Can you but, give an example of one of, of one of those in case people are having trouble latching onto it? Yeah, I, I, so I think one of them is to, to reorganize and assign our systems differently, right? So I, I think this, the, what I would call the state of the union, the state of doing business today, right, is business performance and sustainability has simply become more fragile, right? Um, and the primary driver of this, as I mentioned before, is advances in technology. So digital transformation has to do with an organization being able to translate these, these threats into opportunities, right? As much as advances in technology could be a threat, it can also be an opportunity. Um, so that's one aspect. To me, that's product management. It's, it's better problem solution fit. Um, okay. it's, it's integrating and merging IT with the business. You can't have business design today without have, having IT be an equal partner, right? You're just losing out on so many opportunities. Okay. To, to impress your, your, your customers, right? And the second thing is the, the external environment will keep changing, so we need to be agile. We need to be able to pivot. And that's sort of the system of delivery aspect, right? This is where we have teams that, that make quick decisions that can change their roadmaps quite, quite rapidly. So, so that to me is the digital transformation. Now, what you choose to then build, that's digitization. But I, I also think this is one of those where everybody might have their own definition, which is a well. Okay, so how would you how would you explain the difference from from the waterfall side and the agile side of doing this? Are they so, different or the same? So, so there's two aspects of waterfall versus agile. So there's waterfall versus agile as basic task management, which is how most people have translated structuring a project in an agile way. Uh, can be quicker and more efficient because we manage WIP and we're better able to adapt to, to risks. And you're talking about just tactical use of Agile. It's tactical use. It's how it's been implemented in many, many companies, right? Okay. They do Water Scrum Fall because we just needed the delivery teams to work differently. 
Yeah. Uh, where we are today, because the world is becoming more and more complex, people are getting more and more used to these new experiences that they have on their phones and the stores. They have higher expectations. Project management um, and a waterfall just doesn't move quick enough. And it's primarily because we set off with the set scope in mind. And where we need to get to with product management is our ability to continuously discover to continuously understand our customers and, and sort of do these microtransactions, right? Let's send out small features. Let's uh, probe sense respond. Let's do some alpha beta testing and see who takes, who doesn't take. Um, so, so that's kind of the learning outcome perspective, which is a much stronger argument for, for changing your system of delivery. It's a, it's a much stronger argument for transitioning into product management. It's, it's simply required to continue to have strong business design with high value to your customers and strong outcomes for the for the company okay so if i was to say that you know one of the definitions of a, a project is it's a temporary endeavor with a specific output you're talking about something that is going to be more of an ongoing concern a project as a delivery methodology could sometimes be viable in a product organization okay we we buy a new company in brazil we need to merge it in to our supply chain. We've done this 15 times before. We know each phase it's going to go through. We have specialists. There's low risk. Go ahead. Structure it as a project. It'll yeah, be but fine. if I'm doing some new initiative. Yeah, but, 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 but when we talk product, we're talking about the long-term value proposition. So supply chain as a whole has a strategy. Supply chain can be a product that's managed. Okay. It has sort of the enabling capability aspect, right? But... This new event that happened, which is the acquisition in Brazil, we can run a project that now gets it on the same cadence as the rest of us, and now it follows our strategy. So that's just to separate the two, that there's, there's the aspect of, of delivery that has a project versus agile methodology. Okay. And there's the aspect of management, which can have the, the project-defined scope versus the continuous value proposition of product management. Okay. Um, and, and, and that... It's a stronger business case today. You you do need to be product, um, service, experience centric if if you want to compete in today's marketplace. Okay, cool. This was great. Thank you for doing this. Um, if luck. folks if folks want to get in touch with you, because this was kind of a deep deep end of the pool topic. If folks want to get in touch with you to ask you more questions about it, what is the best way for them to reach you? Uh, I think shooting an email right now, um, and and I. I tend to ramble a uh, ramble a little bit less in in emails, but uh, shooting me an email <laughs> at mikkel m i k k e l dot ladegard l a d e g a a r d. I'm sure Dave will put this on them. I will. I will. Uh, and they can also reach you on LinkedIn if they want to, and I'll include a link to your page on the Leading Agile site as well, dude. Thank you very much for doing this. Oh, absolutely. Um, this was really fun. Yeah. If if there's a lot of comments on some topic, let's let's do it again and try to stay on on point. <laughs> yeah. <sorry. laughs> okay. Cool. Well, thank, thank you. Me. Thank you very much, man.